Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello! This is the Relentables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, and each episode we'll be breaking down another 90s, early 2000s kids movie. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. This is a bonus episode in which I bring on the writer of the ultimate Christmas present, Michael Hitchcock. While he may be the writer of the film, I'm sure my listeners would recognize Michael from one of his numerous iconic acting roles on shows like Veep, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The League, and movies like Super 8, Bridesmaids, and Best in Show. So let's get into my interview with Michael Hitchcock, and just because I love hearing it, let's play the Disney Channel original movie, Intro Music. We are now joined by the writer of The Ultimate Christmas Present, Michael Hitchcock. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Relunchables podcast. Thank you for having me, Jordan. My listeners, of course, know you as an actor from shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm, movies like Bridesmaids, most recently Black Monday on Showtime. Before we get into The Ultimate Christmas Present, I want to go even further back. Growing up in Ohio and Illinois, when did you know you wanted to be in show business? Um, probably... Since the very, very beginning, I, um, I was one of those kids who um, unfortunately played with marionettes and did magic tricks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So while everyone else was out playing softball, I was putting on magic shows. So that happened at a very early age. Um, and yeah, I was like the teenage magician who performed for kids' parties and old folks' homes and all of that kind of crazy nonsense. And <laughs> wrote my own plays and directed the high school, you know, variety show to raise money for something or other. And um, so, yeah, it started early. Did LA and making in Hollywood seem like a pipe dream or did that seem like it could be attainable at that age? Um, well, when I lived in Ohio, I, I, we lived near Toledo and we never made it to Columbus. So <laughs> yeah, Hollywood seemed <laughs> extremely like, yeah. I could remember when I first mentioned it, my parents were, like, what are you crazy? You know, you don't know anyone. It's the hardest business ever. Like, don't even think about it. And somehow or another, I convinced them in high school to let me go to Northwestern and major in TV film production. And I had a minor in English. Uh, so I think that helped a little. And then I kind of eased my way into going to UCLA grad school after that. So that was sort of how I got to LA was, you know, taking a couple years of college to kind of figure out if I even liked LA. And um, lo and behold, I hated LA when I first moved here. I thought it was awful. And um, it took me it took me about two years to get used to it. And then I found my way. So there you go. Did going to Northwestern kind of open you up being in a bigger city and kind of getting a sense of what the comedy scene there was? Um, yeah, I mean, Northwestern was a great school. It was very competitive, um, but I really, really enjoyed my time there. We weren't, uh, Evanston, Illinois is next door to Chicago, 
So um, we weren't necessarily in the city. It was more of a suburb, but I would take um, the elevated train into the city and I did internships. Like I worked for WGN television. I worked for the local CBS news. I worked for a radio station and by worked, I mean, I worked for free, <laughs> um, but it was really fun and, you know, help build up the credits and see what the real world was like. And yeah, it was, that's, it's, it was very, it's very exciting. I got to work for the Cubs one summer and, Bozo Circus, which still existed back then, which if you're from Chicago, you know about Bozo Circus. It was a huge deal. So you come out to LA for grad school, you go to UCLA, and then you yeah. graduate from the film school there. And what's next, basically? Um, I, yeah, I did all of that and won an award and I couldn't find a job. And I temped and I got in through the industry by temping as an assistant for someone. Um, at first I had to like uh, rewrite, I'd have to retype out scripts. That was my first temp job and I was really slow at it and the, they couldn't figure out why I was so slow and they always wanted me to go faster. And I, and I thought like, well, I wasn't a very good typer anyway. I don't know how in the world I got that job. And I found out later that the person who hired me felt sorry for me and raised my, um, my typing speed score. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but I kept, you know, doing that and I ended up working at uh, a home entertainment company, which is, you know, back then was, um, this is even before CDs, this is like VHS and things like that. And I worked for them as a quote unquote writer, which, uh, found out fairly quickly, we weren't going to be writing original content. So they kind of switched me up into marketing, which was an exciting job. I liked it cause I got to kind of travel the world for a while and go to different, um, festivals and help buy movies and things like that but um it really wasn't what I wanted to do so at some point I you know left and made absolutely no money and started writing on my own and little by little kind of you know chunked my way up the ladder wow is that around the time where you started studying at the groundlings in LA yeah I I was studying at the groundlings while still working at uh this home entertainment company. So I would, you know, I had like, uh, you know, button down shirt and a tie and I would whip all that all off and, you know, change it to something where I could roll around on the floor and not look like a, you know, a, a business person. And, um, so they wouldn't catch me in my day job, which, you know, everybody had a day job. So I don't know what I was so worried about, but I did, I did. That's when I started, I did start at the groundlings fairly early. And then, um, if you don't know about the groundlings, the groundlings is a comedy troupe in Los Angeles that specializes in, uh, sketch comedy and improvisation. So, um, it was a good, really good place for a write. At the time I was primarily thinking about just doing writing and I've always found improv is a great writing tool because you have to write on your feet. You, you know, you have to do it. You have to just keep going. So it's, if any of you are out there thinking about writing, Go join an improv class somewhere. It's great. It really helps. Um, and then weirdly, that's also how I kind of foraged my way into acting because I eventually became a main company member at the Groundlings and uh, was on stage and a director by the name of Christopher Guest saw me and I ended up um, getting cast in one of his films called Waiting for Guffman, which led to a string of his other films, uh, including Best in Show and Mighty Wind and, and, and some other ones. And those are all uh, improvisational movies. So 
had kind of a dual thing going. So it was, it was great. It was fun. And for my listeners who don't know, improv and sketch comedy are two very different things. Sketch yeah. comedy, more scripted. Improv, obviously, is what it says. You just go up there and you're just playing around, trying to find the scene, trying to find magic in the show. That's right. For, for you, were, there, were you just wanting to do anything related to comedy? You were just trying to, kind of being, uh, you know, trying to get every kind of experience possible? Was there one you preferred? I know you eventually got into writing and it seems like you were much more on the sketch side, but yet you were such a prolific improv actor working on shows like Curb and The League and, and other shows that are more loose. Um, I like both. It's fun. It's, I like creating, you know, writing the words and seeing people do them. Um, and as an actor, it's really fun to improvise. But you also, that's usually um, the exception to the rule. So uh, usually you, you know, you're going to have to do what's on the page and know how to do it. Um, you know, correctly. So um, sometimes that's the downfall of improvers. They think once they get on set, they can improvise all the time. And uh, that's usually not the case in television. Sometimes in films it is, but that, it depends on that too. Comedy, it's a little more loose, but I always, always, always ask permission before doing it. Is it more challenging showing up to a set like Curb Your Enthusiasm where you know you got to be on your A game that, you know, there is a out, loose outline for what the scene's hoping to achieve, but it's really on you to find it with Larry and the other actors? Yeah, that's one of those shows where you really want to do a good job because <laughs> it's such a great show. Um, and the way the way they work is they, they have an outline. The writers, you know, know what's what's up, but they don't tell the actors. They don't tell us. I mean, Larry knows, obviously, but so... Um, you get there and you, you know, get dressed and all that business and go to the set and they tell you on set, this scene is going to be about this, um, you know, and, and away you go. And on my particular episode I did with them, I was a character who had taken a bow of silence and um, uh, was obviously that Larry didn't care for that. But I also had seen something that um, I was trying to convey without talking. Um, so you would find out literally right before you shot the scene what the scene was about. So yeah, it's very um, intimidating is probably the wrong word. It's extremely exciting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you want you don't want to screw up in front of Larry David. <laughs> <laughs> is it a relief in a sense when you go onto a project that is more scripted and you're like, okay, I just need to know my lines, or does that present its own challenges as well? Oh, scripted for sure presents its own talent. It, it's all acting. So you have to, no matter what, you're creating character that hopefully people believe and that you as a character are believing in whatever is happening. Um, but yes, if you're, if you're doing there, you want to honor the words. And I think people forget sometimes, even in film, um, but it's definitely in television, you know, in television, there's 12 people who wrote that script. And they don't really love it when actors decide they're going to change it. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, writer number five fought for the six lines they got in the, in the script. <laughs> and they'd like to keep them in there. So um, all of that's happening. Plus, you're on a time clock. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of time to, to goof around. And that's not always the case. Some shows are looser than others. Um, and on films, even films, even though maybe one person may be credited, there's a slew of um, writers, there's executives, there's studio people, there's network people, there's all these people that have had their hands on those scripts and those scripts have been rewritten at least eight or nine times, um, which was certainly the case with Ultimate Christmas Present, which we'll talk about later, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So everything, everything has been rewritten 
a bunch. So if you're thinking about being a writer, but you don't like to rewrite, maybe don't do that. Go be an orthodontist. <laughs> You've had such a prolific acting career as well to your writing. When growing up, did you have any mentors you were looking up to in the comedy industry? Any, you know, late night hosts or comedians, anyone that you were looking up to that was like, this is what I want to do? Um, yeah, I kind of grew up with like some of the best of the best. I grew up in like the Norman Lear age where we got, um, they're doing them now. They're like recreating all the family and everything. But those shows were not only funny, but they also were very progressive. So, I mean, they always had a point to them, which I miss. I miss shows with a bite and a point um, and a message. And uh, so I grew up with that. But then before that, when I was a little kid, like the Dick Van Dyke show, but even dumb shows like Bewitched or, you know, were also stupid, but they were really funny. And Green Acres, if you've never seen Green Acres, is one of the funniest shows you've ever seen in your life. It's really good and um, just as wacky as can be. It's sort of a precursor to like Schitt's Creek. Okay. So it's um, kind of the granddaddy of Schitt's Creek, if, you, if I may. It's, <laughs> it's a great show. It's so funny. And I love Schitt's Creek. So, but yes, I, as far as comedians I looked up to, Definitely like the late night hosts, like Johnny Carson, The Tonight Show, um, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, all the Norman Lear casts, um, even even weird ones like, you know, I'm old enough for like Laugh-In, which is a bizarre show if you've never seen Laugh-In. Um, that's back when Goldie Hawn was, you know, 19 years old and just crazy. I mean, it was really, really, really funny. Lily Tomlin, doing all of her characters and um, it's, it's, it doesn't hold up amazingly well, but it's really fun to see like, what was it like at the time? Because they got like President Nixon to go on and do weird things. I mean, it was, it was quite, quite the show and very bizarre. So I know I keep bouncing around here, but I want to go back now to kind of when you're working in Groundlings and how does Mad TV start to happen? Is that through your relationships that you're developing with people at the Groundlings? How did that start where you became a writer on Mad TV? Um, yes, I was a writer on Mad TV starting roughly around when I think Ultimate Christmas Stars came out. Yeah. Um, and that came about exactly because I knew I had grown up with some of the cast members on Mad TV and, and SNL and Michael McDonald, who was, uh, he, he's most famous for playing Stuart, the, the kind of man baby. Um, <laughs> he uh, recommended me for a, a writing job over there. And uh, that's how it, how it started, yeah. So you do such a long run on Mad TV, but right at the beginning, you're also working on this random Christmas movie and starting to write that. How did that come about? Well, I'd finished it by then, so. Okay. Um, the, the, uh, ultimate Christmas present, I can't remember the exact year we started, but it might've even been 1998, um, because there was a good break between one draft and then, uh, another draft. There was a time when it looked like it had gone away and then it kind of got resurrected again at the Disney channel. Um, partly because, uh, if you want to start to get into this, cause that's why people are listening. Um, originally, it was based off of a short story that a woman named Hallie Einhorn had written. Um, and the original title was Snow Day. And originally, it was about two boys. And they built the snow machine and they and all of that business. Um, and I don't remember if Hallie wrote it or if I did. I can't remember. But it was originally set in Boston. 
and then it got changed to Los Angeles. And then at one point, Disney Channel said, you know, we like the idea and all this business, and we have a couple of, of, of female actors that we are um, grooming, and they would be good for this, so could we switch it to guys? And they also made the very wise decision, like it snows all the time in Boston, that's not very exciting. Let's switch it to LA. Yeah. And um, that's how it ended up being, you know, a snowstorm in Los Angeles. And that's also how uh, the the girls ended up getting in it because someone at Disney's changed it from from boys to girls. So how did, I'm going back a little bit, but how did you get commissioned to write that script? Was it something that Disney Channel was kind of putting out to writers that were starting this, you know, Disney Channel original movies? We, you know, we want to release one every month. Um, I, I don't know the ins and outs of the Disney. I was contacted by the production company that made it for Disney. So it was a, a company called Once Upon a Time um, Productions, I think. And uh, I think my manager had gotten me in a meeting with them and we clicked and that's how that happened so yeah. they they had been commissioned i think I, I assume disney probably bought the uh story that that hallie einhorn had written and then it got developed in that regard so i my initial meetings for the script and everything were strictly through the production company and had nothing to do with the disney channel i didn't meet them one-on-one -on -one until later gotcha when, I think for anyone, like even like myself growing up in Florida and San Diego at the time, having the ability to make it snow in such a warm weather climate was definitely every kid's fantasy. I know you said that was kind of, you know, how they moved it from Boston to LA. Um, mm -hmm. How did you develop, I guess, just adapting that short story into a full-fledged script and, you know, kind of playing with the characters and even, I don't know how much the writers got involved in the casting, but, you know, we had Brenda Song and Ali Hirsch and even John Sally as one of the elves. It was such brilliant casting even to, you know, kind of make this and come to life. Yeah, I wish I could take credit for the casting, but um, it was shot in Vancouver and I um, never went to Vancouver. <laughs> so uh, I did not have anything to do with the casting. Um, I did, you know, suggest that the elves be, the, the, you know, John Sally and... Uh, uh, gosh, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Um, Phil Fagerbachy. Yes, that yeah. they would be um, very, 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 very tall. So uh, they got great people to do it. So that was, you know, an added bonus because John Sally is very funny. As is yeah. they, were, they were both great. Now with Disney Plus coming about and all these movies kind of being unlocked out of the vault, have you seen a resurgence of these films? And have you gone back yourself and watched The Ultimate Christmas Present? Um, I watch it every once in a while when the holidays come around, it'll, you know, it pops up and I'll watch part of it. And then I remember like, oh, why did I write that? Or <laughs> better. And yeah, I kind of go right back into the writer's brain of like, oh, brother, this, you know, why in the world are we talking about, you know, Ricky Martin? Why do we have to put that in there? But, so, or, you know, because at the time it sounded so great and now it just, ages it and it's it's to me it's more fun to think about technology and how you know you see phones and no, no cell phones and pay phones and everything else you're like oh yeah that's what it was like back then <laughs> so um some it's always funny with all the old movies like how many things could be solved if we all had pay phones <laughs> i mean had cell phones yeah i want to talk to you about one other movie that you wrote which is i don't know how many questions you get about it but it's house arrest which was a movie yeah that I watched literally probably a hundred times as a kid, at least. It was always on television. And it was one of those films as a young kid, 
that you don't quite remember what the name of it was. As you get older, you're like, I watched this movie, but I can't remember the name. And then in doing research, I was like, oh my God, it's house arrest. And the kind of the, like we said with the ultimate Christmas present, a similar fantasy of, you know, locking your parents in the basement and the kids running the show. How did that idea and how did that come about? Um, I wrote it originally as more of a dark comedy. It was originally written, the original title of that was Serious Trouble. And I wanted to make it almost like an R-rated movie hmm. or at least PG-13 where, I mean, it's the, the kids are much more troubled and it's, uh, yeah. And then at some point I thought, well, it's just a little too dark. So let's edge it a different way and uh, kind of toned it down. Um, and that's when it got sold. So yeah, it was a, it was something I wrote as a spec script as kind of a dark, I should pull that. I'd love to see what the original one, if it was, maybe it wasn't as dark as I thought it was. Maybe people just swore, but <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, that's how that came about. It was, um, it was originally kind of an R rated thing about kids locking their parents in the basement. <laughs> And then it became family friendly. Oh boy. <laughs> and I learned a big lesson on that. Don't write anything about kids, parents getting a divorce and them solving the problem because no one wants to see that. <laughs> so I'm curious, you know, you've done a lot of both writing, acting, producing on Glee and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I'm curious, mm -hmm. is there one that you're just kind of, you're just scratching your itch in different ways? Is there one that you prefer doing or it's kind of like you just need to kind of fulfill all these different outlets that you like creatively? I like switching it up. Um, it's, uh, I, I mean, the thing about something like um, Matt TV, which is a sketch show, I don't ever need to write sketch again, I don't think, because I did it for a long time. Um, I love writing comedy. I love writing dark comedy. Uh, but I also like writing drama too. I think the first thing I ever sold was a movie about runaways. It was called Where the Day Takes You. And um, th that was an R-rated movie. And then weirdly, I got pulled into the comedy world uh, as a writer for the most part and have been there for a while. But I, I kind of keep leaning back to music, which I, I love music. And Glee was a good fit for that. And Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was a good fit for that. Um, weirdly, even Matt TV was because we did a lot of original song parody so um it's i don't know i like there's part of me that wishes the whole world could sing and dance <laughs> this is actually a fan question from uh suzanne in austin texas and she asked is there anyone you haven't gotten the chance to work with yet that you've been dying to oh suzanne that's a great question um yeah i want to work i want to work with definitely like Matt Damon and that kind of group. Um, Judd Apatow, I have worked with a little bit from Bridesmaids, but he was a producer on it, he didn't direct it. So that would be great um, to kind of lean into the Judd Apatow world a little bit. Um, and also kind of the, the Matt Damon produced movies um, would be fun too. So yeah, the big, you know, icons, but. That's, I don't know, I can't dream that big. That's too big. <laughs> you got to work with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, right? There's no better uh, person to work right. with than that. <laughs> yeah, she, she's very sweet. Uh, I know my listeners would be curious as to what you're up to now. I know with the quarantine, it's, there's not a lot in production. I'm sure, you know, our viewers are aware that the new Kristen Wiig comedy, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, has been slated now for 2021. Uh, but where can my listeners see you? 
they can see me cooking a tuna casserole if they <laughs> look in the window. That's, I mean, we're all doing that. It's, uh, it's very, it's a very strange talk. Uh, yeah, they, I'm, I'm currently on, um, as an actor, I'm currently on uh, Black Monday, which weirdly we, they finished filming before the quarantine, but the post-production wasn't done. So part of season two was shown on Showtime. And then the second part of it, they, they're finishing up the post-production of it now. So it will be shown, I think, at the end of June. Um, I will also be on a pretty, I'll be on Netflix a little later, um, which I can't say what it is, but I will be. And um, so look out for something on Netflix later, starting later. And, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, Barbara Star Go to Vista Del Mar um, is a Kristen Week comedy that she wrote with. Annie Mumolo and Annie and her wrote Bridesmaids and it's it's very funny and very weird um, and it was a lot of fun to do and uh, I have no idea I hope people like it and I it's so I mean Kristen and Annie are hilarious and Jamie Dornan is in it and he's he was the yeah. star of um, you know Fifty Shades of Grey which I never I'd never seen it but apparently everyone else did because he got recognized wherever we went <laughs> and he took it all in stride and kind of laughed it all off so. It was weird kind of being around that because yeah, that's, it was strange. I mean, just very strange. I'm used to being around comedy people, not like sexy people. So <laughs> I'm trying to think if I have any other, to ask me more tidbits about the, the thing. I don't know if I can, oh, the whole ending, the whole ending in the chocolate factory wasn't mine. That was a surprise. I, um, I wrote a whole like snow chase scene outdoors <laughs> um, and it was just probably, I'm sure they rewrote it because it was too expensive. Hmm. So they moved a you know, much more contained set for the ending. So that was kind of a complete surprise when I saw <laughs> one of the scripts. I thought, wow, okay. Um, but that's how it goes, yeah. Um, so the Chocolate Factory had nothing to do with, if you're, if you're, that was your favorite part, I apologize. I have nothing to do. <laughs> Does that happen a lot as a writer when you're writing something? I know it happens to actors all the time where their scenes may get cut out, but does that happen often when you're writing something? I know you may get notes from the studio or the production company, but where you actually just write something, you think it's how it's going to be shot, and then you watch it for the first time, and you're like, wait, I didn't write that. Yeah, it does happen a lot. It, it, that's part of the name of the game. I mean, and obviously when you're, when you're on staff at a TV show, it, you're always getting rewritten to a certain degree. Um, so you, that's just part of the, the, the game. Um, as far as films go, almost every film, including TV films, at some point we'll probably have another writer come in and, and work on it, or maybe more than one writer. And uh, sometimes the experience is, is good. Sometimes it's like, oh, like I, when I wrote Where the Day Takes You, I found out I had been rewritten by reading about it in Variety. And then later I was hired to rewrite the rewrite. So it just depends how it goes. And um, I think the same thing happened on House Arrest too. There was at one, one point someone else came in to rewrite it and then they didn't like that and or like part of it or I don't know. It got, it, it, but yes, it, it's multiple people kind of come in and, and, um, and come out and it's, it's, it's strange. Writers are, um, that's why we're all just a little bit squirrely <laughs> because there's always something happening. <laughs> 
during um, the quarantine, it seems like now is a good time to be writing. Are you writing anything now? You would think it would be a good time to be writing. <laughs> um, I am, yes, I am writing a little bit. I'm, re I'm actually rereading a lot of scripts I have written to see where my head was at. And then I'm reading scripts that I really uh, admire. So I'm pulling out like, like really good scripts like Taxi Driver and uh, Boogie Nights and just, just getting an inspiration that way. Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's, for me, it's a strange process, but um, that's, that's what's happening in that world. Whatever happened to like, let's talk about the actors. Do we, what yes. do we know about them? Brenda's doing great. Brenda's doing great. Uh, Phil Fagerbaki has been voicing Patrick Starr for going on 20 years now, which yeah. is super impressive. Uh, John Sally is, he was in Bad Boys 2. He had a great role in Bad Boys 2. And I want to see more acting from him, actually. Yeah, I run into him every once in a while. And he never remembers how we know each other, but I remind him. Um, and then Haley Hirsch, I think she kind of stepped away from acting. I think in the early bad. 2010s. She's She's very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. But that happens too. Sometimes you, you know, you need to go on a different path and that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Spencer Breslin, I think did the same kind of stepped away at a young age and. But Spencer yeah. Breslin has like a band or something, doesn't he? He's like, he's a musician too. So huh. he's, um, he was, I can remember when he was cast, I thought, wow, that's amazing. Cause I thought he was such a good actor and um, obviously is and he's in so many funny movies yeah it's funny going back and re-watching these 20 years later and you know kind of seeing you know who's still made it as an actor who's doing other things and we've had a ton of people on the podcast who are child actors who are now lawyers and pursuing something else and people who stuck with it you know it's tough for these child actors you're kind of labeled as the next big thing for disney and you kind of have to uphold that and there's a lot of pressure on these kids yeah it would be it would be uh interesting um that's that's a very bland word but it would, it would be quite challenging to be a child uh, actor in the business. It's, it's a lot of work and um, a lot of pressure. I don't know, you know, quite how they do it. Yeah. Um, and some fare better than others and some, you know, end up doing great. So, um, but I never, I never fault anybody if they've decided, you know, a chapter two in their life, they're going to, you know, be a lawyer or something like they've kind of had the best of both worlds. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's good, good for them. Yeah. Michael, I can't thank you enough for your time. I just wanted to end on five rapid fire questions. Oh, if you're no, ready. I'm very bad at rapid fire. <laughs> they haven't been so rapid fire, to be honest. So take your time if you need to. Uh, okay. Any TV shows you're currently binging during the quarantine? Um, yes. Tiger King, for sure. Ozark. Um, Naked and Afraid. <laughs> I got to go all over the place. And when I'm bored, I do love a little Judge Judy. So, you know, you can, I'm sorry, but not sorry. Do you think Carol Baskin killed her husband? Um, I think she knows more than she's telling us. <laughs> yeah. I'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite restaurant in Los Angeles? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, my favorite fun restaurant, which um is denny's on the corner of <laughs> Gower because it just makes me happy um la staple I, denny's yeah <laughs> i love a good denny's and that's not a lie uh so you can find me there eating breakfast more often than not um but 
Oh, I don't know. Let me think. I'm not a huge foodie, so um, you know, I I, I order Domino's and stuff. So it's um, but yeah, there's a lot of good restaurants. Moza. I mean, yeah. if I throw out like a fancy one. <laughs> Did you have a favorite Disney Channel original movie aside from Ultimate Christmas Present? And if you don't really know the others, you can just give me a favorite kids movie you had growing up. Uh, favorite kids growing up would be Mary Poppins for sure. Um, I rewatched Old Yeller, like the original yeah. Old Yeller. Woo. <laughs> boy, that is crazy. If you want to watch a, that, boy, have times changed. And I'm not just talking about the dog the dog's fate the whole way through that dog is like chasing bears and wild pigs and all sorts of things and you think how many dogs and pigs did they go through making this thing and the kids the mom is telling the kids like don't rock each other which means the two kids were literally throwing rocks at each other and apparently back in the prairie days that was a perfectly acceptable thing to do except you know around dinner time or something and then this they, there's this little girl who arrives from some other prairie thing and her dad just drops her off and leaves her there for the rest of the movie because he's just doesn't he just decided that she can help out them and and i'm not kidding the, the dad just drops the girl off and leaves and then the girl's in the movie for the rest of the movie and she's there for weeks supposedly so it's very it's very bizarre to watch I'll have to go back and rewatch it. <laughs> it's crazy. And at the beginning, I mean, even at the beginning, they kind of want to shoot Old Yeller. It's, it's, it's a fascinating movie. And kind of like, hmm, this was family entertainment back in the 50s. You're not our first guest to say Old Yeller, by the way. Uh, next okay. question. Uh, well, yes, but I'm saying it's, it's probably on Disney Plus. I assume yeah. it really is. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's very entertaining. But it's, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> It is a sign of its time, I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, but I didn't really watch, I was too old to watch Disney Channel films, so I don't really know them, unless a friend was in one or something, and I can't think of a friend right now that was in one. Sure. So, anyway. Uh, coming up in the business, was there anyone that you kind of got starstruck at meeting, you know, you finally got here, you arrived in Hollywood, and you met someone maybe you looked up to as a kid, or someone in the business that you kind of got awestruck of, and, you know, didn't know what to say exactly, you wanted a fanboy out, but didn't? Many times. I mean, Catherine O'Hara comes to mind, who's, I think, a comedy genius. I met her on Waiting for Guffman and Eugene Levy, same thing, and, and Christopher Guest, and all of them. I was just so starstruck to meet them, and um, yeah. Then I've met other people along the way, like Leonardo DiCaprio or whatever, where you just don't know what to say and just <laughs> kind of mumble. Um, and you know, all of that. So yes, it does happen. It happens a lot. And then weirdly, one time I was in a 7-Eleven in Hollywood and I turned around and there was some woman I'd watched on a soap opera and I thought I knew her. And I went, hi! And um, almost spilled my, yeah, my big gulp and she couldn't have gotten out of there fast enough. But, was it actually the actress or no? No, it was, it was her. Okay, okay. It was from the uh, the bold and the beautiful. For some reason, I was watching that at lunch at the time, and I was so excited to see her in real life. But I thought I, it's that weird thing with soap people that you think you kind of know them. But then again, I was one time in a supermarket, and I thought, "There's a movie star. There's a movie star in the supermarket." And I followed him around and followed him around, um, trying to figure out how you know which which movie I knew him from. And I finally figured out that he was my postman. 
Huh. Um, so yeah, he was out of Unicorn, but I knew I knew him. Uh, last <laughs> last question: At Disney Plus, approached you about writing a potential sequel to the Ultimate Christmas Present, where maybe Allie and Sam's characters are now living in New York. Maybe they have kids of their own who find the weather machine, and they want to bring ninety degree sunshine to New York during Christmas time. Would you sign up to write it? Oh, in a heartbeat. Well, Jordan, you better write it. You're the one who just came up with the plot. <laughs> that's yours. That's your baby. <laughs> yeah, but would I do it? I, I, sure. I'd be in it. I'd like to play. I don't know what I'd want to play, but I'd want to play something. I'll write it, and then you could rewrite it. Oh, that would be. It's so much fun rewriting. <laughs> meeting them later, and they just hate you. So <laughs> there's nothing worse than meeting someone that you've either rewritten or they rewrote you. Uh, Michael, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Relunchables podcast. I really appreciate your time. Well, you're welcome. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for uh, taking the time. I would like to thank my guest, Michael Hitchcock, for coming on the podcast. You can find him on social media. He's at HitchMichael on Instagram and Twitter. Basically, just search Michael Hitchcock and you'll find him. And let's keep the promotion train rolling. You can also subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or every year podcast. And please leave us a rating or review. Five stars only. Until next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube